This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. American public schooling was established to unify diverse people and prepare citizens for democracy. How well have those schools performed? Are those goals really possible? Neil McCluskey is director of the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom and is author of the new book, The Fractured Schoolhouse, Reexamining Education for a Free, Equal, and Harmonious Society. What was the problem? that the notion of government schooling was meant to solve or at least mitigate? Well, I think the first thing we should say is that a fundamental problem with public schooling is the idea that there is one problem or one answer that's applicable to everyone. And so you can go all the way back to the start of public schooling and run into disagreements about what public schooling was supposed to do and what education is supposed to do. So uh, fundamentally, you can go back. First of all, we should probably note there was a whole lot of education going on before there were public schools. There is some mythology that, well, before there were public schools, people weren't learning or it was just sort of something that kind of happened for rich people. There was education going on everywhere. For one thing, you learned a trade usually, even if that was agriculture, which was serious learning. But also in the colonies, very early on, there was lots of education in literacy, both the ability to read, the ability to write, and also to do some math. No, this wasn't everybody, you know, reading great novels and dissecting them for themes and learning calculus, because that simply made no sense in the way people lived back then. But there was widespread education. And by the time you get to 1840, when we have our first uh, assessment sort of of national literacy, among white adults, it's about 90%, which is among the highest rates in the world. Now, of course, we say white adults because in many places, African-Americans were forbidden from being taught. That was government. That wasn't free society. That was government. So let's first understand that actually education was very widespread when the idea of common schooling is arising. And then there were there are different r- arguments for common schooling, but the one that sort of gets the most sort of take up by elites and the idea of common schooling is largely driven by elites is basically the idea that especially in what is a a government that the people are supposed to largely be in charge through voting. Some people think they need to be informed so that they vote and act politically with some knowledge. Um, Others, and this was more predominant, was, well, we need to make them the same. They need to have the same morals, the same understanding of what the country is about. And once we make them the same, then they are safe to do things like vote. So there was actually big differences. And a lot of people say, well, Thomas Jefferson, you know, he wanted common schools. And so he would have supported what common schools became, which was a way to standardize people. But that's not what he wanted. He said, the main point of public of common schooling is to teach people history so that they can look out for demagogues coming, not to make them the same, not to standardize humanity, and also, he said, to rake from the rubbish the, you know, really smart ones, the, what he called the natural aristocracy, who would eventually become leaders through like a pyramid or shaped education system. Uh, And then you get to Horace Mann, the so-called father of the common schools. 
And his thing was, look, I am elite. I have the right values. My friends have the right values. Uh, I don't like, in particular, I'm not a fan of congregationalists, also known as Puritans. I don't want families turning out like those folks. I see people coming in from the countryside who had been farmers, but there's beginning of industrialization in, in New England. And they are kind of dirty, I think. Um, and they don't have my kind of morals or my enlightenment. For instance, they don't know phrenology, which is cutting edge techno science, where if you know the shape of people's heads, you can figure all about them. So they're just ignorant. And I think we need to make them unignorant in my model to look like Horace Mann so that, again, they are safe for society. So that was really the fear was you had people that often elites thought, well, they're not they're just not right. They aren't like me and my friends, you know, the Boston Brahmins who are in charge. And we got to fix that. If we have a, a push for treating young people as vessels into which we pour, so, you know, a common set of facts, common set of values uh, and a specific uh, kind of education, taking that institute, those institutions uh, that would deliver that education and subjecting them to some sort of democratic control uh, means introducing all of our values into the struggle over what's going to get taught here. And this is your life's purpose, as far as I can tell professionally, is to make the point that that's a problem. Yes. Um, you know, I, I started doing or focusing on the role and shape of education systems and how they affect social cohesion. Uh, for, for one of the motives that, you know, drives me in everything is I got annoyed by constantly hearing without any real substance to back it that without public schoolers, we, public schooling would become balkanized and the democracy would fall apart and all this stuff that no, that not enough people, at least who say it, ever bring any evidence to bear to support it. And I should just mention something about Horace Mann. I just sounded mean about Horace Mann and these other folks who said that, you know, we've got to shape people so they're safe. It's important to note because I don't like it when people do this to me. They probably had what they thought were good motives. You can understand, actually, why people with a new democracy, especially as the French Revolution is going on. So if we're talking about people in Jefferson's era and Benjamin Rush, you can see why they'd say, OK, we're a little nervous that we'll have mob rule if we give people power. So we got to shape them. For Horace Mann, you can understand, you know, it's very well educated. He was fairly well to do. You could see why he saw other people and think, well, that you know, that's not so great. Um, and he traveled to Prussia. People like to point out he wanted a Prussian system where the state molds people. And that's true. He did want that. He did also, though, say, yeah, there are problems with that. They're kind of authoritarian. And he just he recognized the problem, but then he kind of blew it off, said, so see how well state control works for them in a free country. It'll work even better. But he probably meant well. And he was pretty rough on um, the Prussians because he thought they were really stupid. You can read this in Horace Mann because I, he went on for like pages about it. They put too many quilts on their kids and they kind of suffocate their kids at night. So he was a paternalist. I mean, he really thought he had all the answers. and. Actually, if there's more warning about him, about the authoritarian part of it, it's not that he was mean. It's that paternalists are often really wrong. The fact that he was an avid phrenologist, and he actually said, 
parents need to be taught real science, like phrenology, doesn't mean he had bad intentions. It means he had blinders to his he himself not knowing many things. And that's a problem when you have one system for everyone is people who are well-intentioned think they have all the answers and are often wrong. So that's a big part of the problem. But going to the democracy part of this, what is problematic is that elites thought they could set up a system of common schools for democratic society, but they didn't really seem to think it should be democratic. And you could see why not, because once it actually becomes democratic, you have what we see throughout the history of common schooling. Diverse people forced into divisive conflict with each other. And then the winners essentially get to tell the losers how their kids will be educated, what values they'll, they'll have, how they'll be educated, where they're educated. And that is fundamentally inconsistent with what I argue in the book is the actual foundational primary American value. Many people say it's democracy. It's actually liberty. The reason we have democracy is because we think it is the system. And of course, we don't have democracy of a constitutional republic, but we'll just refer to people voting and we'll use the term democracy. I break all that down in the book, but it's because we think, well, the system of government consistent with the people having liberty is the people get to vote for who their policymakers are. But in terms of running your day-to-day life, you don't want either a dictator or the majority or whoever gets the most political power telling you these are the values your kids must know. So your solutions, which I think are probably familiar to me and listeners uh, to the Cater Daily podcast, uh, you know, you use this phrase in your subhead of your book, a harmonious society, uh, which sounds uh, very zen. And uh, but it's not. It, it's not something everybody imagines what harmonious society is going to look like. And but I, I suspect your ver- vision of a harmonious society is not a lack of disagreement among people. No. So, you know, the bulk of this book, you might say, is kind of like the black book of public schooling, kind of like there's the black book of communism. A lot of it is to dispel the mythology that public schools brought diverse people together and created harmony. Actually, a big part of the reality is they didn't bring diverse people together in most cases because people tend to live with people like themselves. Most of our history, public schooling was in very small local districts where they reflected a very homogeneous population. And then when in areas where you did bring together diverse people, that's where you saw lots of conflict or you saw people systematically excluded from the public schools. So conflict was, for instance, Roman Catholics who for about 100 years or more were fighting to get money for their own schools because the public schools were essentially Protestant institutions that were hostile in many cases to Catholicism. So they had to remove themselves. In other cases, People said, no, if you're African-American or in some parts of the country, if you're Asian or you're Hispanic, you go to your own schools. So they excluded them. So public schools have never brought people together. And when they have had diverse people, or they typically have brought people together, when they have, that's ended in conflict and often exclusion. Um, And so part of the major thrust of the book is to say, look, this is a myth that these schools brought us together and that they often cause conflict. The next part of it is, well, how do we bring people together? Part of it is avoiding conflict that's divisive, where we are forced into opposing camps. You can't think of a situation that would 
be more divisive than saying, I have to defeat my neighbor. Um, and so I talk about at least the key to, it seems, peace in education is school choice. Let people choose the education they think is right for their children, not have to go into conflict with each other of, do you have critical race theory? Do you teach what people call gender ideology? Um, all these sorts of battles we're having now, not that these are new. You remember the Scopes Monkey Trial? Do we require people to learn uh, creationism? Do we let people learn evolution? This has been going on for our whole history. That's how we get peace. And I think peace, this harmony, is important. But I also get into an area that a lot of the, uh, well, at least this part of the book says, is it really needs to be explored more. There's not definitive answer on this. But does choice, freedom for people, actually lead to greater cohesion in the long run? Now, in the book, I don't pretend to say, you know, we've got proof that if we have school choice and education, everyone will come together and all our problems will be solved. I actually think that the education system is not the primary driver of cohesion or division. And I think that we need a lot more research in this, but we haven't had many people pay attention to how does the school system build bridges among different groups? We've done a lot of focus on how do you physically bring people from different groups together, but not how do you have a system that enables them to start feeling sort of kindred with each other. And I think that we, in part, it's because, look, public schools for a very long time in many places were forced to be segregated by race, by government. And the first priority was, well, let's end that forced segregation by race. And so we've looked at just how many people have we gotten into buildings that are different from each other. But there's hasn't been enough focus on how do we build these bridges. And I think what research exists right now, both in and out of education, suggests that actually choice may be the key to bringing, to doing this bridging because you let people choose schools, people who may be from a different race or different religion, but who want something that a particular school offers that's unique. It could be arts-based education, it could be religion, it could be lots of things. And that builds cross-cutting identities. So the main thrust of the book is, look, public schooling did not do what people tell you, and there are very basic reasons it didn't. It's because in a diverse society, you can't force one answer on all people and not expect mass conflict. But there is a forward-looking part about this, which is, how do we move past that? And it lays out a lot of the evidence that choice is probably the way to do that but also is clear, we need to look at this a lot more. But we're not going to do that if we just keep assuming public schooling brought us all together and anything other than that is going to rip us apart. Neil McCluskey is author of the new book, The Fractured Schoolhouse, Reexamining Education for a Free, Equal, and Harmonious Society. You can subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 